Epilogue to Hakikatul Wahi. In the name of Allah, the gracious, the merciful, we praise Him and invoke blessings on His noble messenger, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. After finishing this book, such important facts became known, the inclusion of which into this book is necessary for the completion of this book. Those issues are discussed in what follows. 1. The Mubahla, prayer duel with Jaraguddin of Jammu, has already been recorded in this book. Although it is assigned by deliberating over which alone a person who submits to the demands of reason, justice, and honesty, and who does not abandon the course of piety, can realize that I am from God and that I am in the right. Nevertheless, the doubt could cross the mind of a septic that since Jaraguddin had already died of the plague, this Mubahla might not have been from him, and the text of the Mubahla might have been composed on my own after his death. I therefore postponed the publication of this book until Jaraguddin's heirs or friends publish his book, which contains the text of this Mubahila. So by the grace and compassion of Allah the Exalted, their hearts were moved to publish that book, which contains the essay of the Mubahila. And then they published that book in a matter of a few weeks, and they named that book ijaz muhammadi the most gratifying part of this is that, despite their intense opposition, they could not remove the essay of the Mubahila from the book ijaz muhammadi It appears that Jaraguddin had, while he was still alive, publicly expressed his intention of writing an essay by way of a Mubahila so that the one who is a liar should perish. With great audacity and arrogance, he had labeled me at the Jal and had alleged in his book Minaratul Masih, the Minaret of the Messiah, that I was none other than the promised Dajjal who was to come. He had further written that during a dream, Hazrat Isa al-Islam, Jesus, had given a staff to him so that with this staff he could kill this Dajjal. Then once he wrote the wording of the Mubahila in his book Ijaz al-Muhammadi, soon after its completion, he contracted the plague. Although he was unable to publish his book within his lifetime, he had explicitly announced his intention to enter into the Mubahila and had shown the text of the Mubahila to a number of people. Moreover, he had submitted the article to the scribe for transcription. This is why his friends, despite their intense opposition, could not muster the courage to expunge the text of the Mubahila from the book. In actual fact, this was an act of Allah the Exalted that he prevented those from realizing that the publication of the text concerning the Mubahila would prove that Jaraguddin was a liar, because when Jaraguddin handed over the text of the Mubahila to the scribe for transcription, both his sons, for there were only two, contracted the plague and died that very same day. Furthermore, that text had not yet been transferred to the stone slab for printing when Jaraguddin himself, by falling victim to the plague, delivered the verdict on the dispute between the two of us with his own death. In short, the text of the Mubahila became a well-known incident. This is why his friends published it nonetheless as part of the book Ijaz al-Muhammadi. When that text had been printed, we also purchased several copies of that book so that people would know that the text of the Mubahila that we had published as part of our book Hakikatul Wahi is exactly from this very Jiraghdeen. Although all this was sufficient evidence for public satisfaction, I felt that if we could get the original Mubahila text, which was written by Jaraguddin's own hand, and then take a photo of it, this evidence would have added luster. Great effort was made for this objective, and in the end, after the publication of the book, we were able to obtain not only that text, but also the entire manuscript of the book from the scribe of Ijaz al-Muhammadi. 
After this, I tried to have a photo taken of this text in some way. To this end, through the efforts of Brother Malvi Muhammad Ali M.A., letters were written to the publishing house in Calcutta, Bombay, and Madras, where photos of written manuscripts are taken. Although very high rates were quoted for making the photocopy 50 rupees per page, we agreed to everything. This was the very reason why the publication of the book Hakikatul Wahi was delayed so much. In the end, with the grace of God Almighty, we succeeded in taking the image of the manuscript. Therefore, that image has been included in this epilogue. Footnote start. The photocopy of the handwritten Mubahila challenge to Jaragdin, resident of Jammu, is given on pages 507 to 512. The translation is given on pages 474 to 479. Footnote end. The original writing of Jaragdin, which is the text of the Mubahila, indeed the whole book in the handwriting of Jaragdin, is safe in our possession, and whoever wishes to see it, may do so, but for anyone who recognizes Jiragdin's handwriting, it is not necessary to see the signed manuscript of Jiragdin, which is in our possession, rather he would be satisfied by seeing its image. The second point worthy of being recorded in this epilogue comprises those few prophecies which were fulfilled after the book Hakikatul Wahi was finished. There is also a prophecy which is a sign belonging to the past. I did not remember to record it at the time of writing the other signs. This is why it is now recorded in the epilogue. It is a great sign of which many of the most vehement enemies and opponents of the author are witnesses. Therefore, I thought it proper that I should record this sign too, along with those signs in the epilogue. There are as follows. Signs Continued from sign number 187, the first sign, or 188th sign. This sign relates to Nawab Muhammad Ali Khan, the chief of Malakotla, concerning whom Allah the Exalted revealed to me that his wife would die soon. Along with the news of her death, God also said, painful sorrow and painful event. I communicated this sad news first to the people of my home and then to others. I later had the prophecy published in the newspapers Badr and Al-Hakam. I was given this intimation by Allah the Almighty when Nawab's, Muhammad Ali Khan's wife, was hale and hearty. About six months later, she began to suffer from tuberculosis. She was provided every possible treatment, but in the month of Ramadan, 1324 Hijra, she departed from this transitory world. Nawab Sahib had also been informed of this prophecy beforehand. Our learned friends Hakim Malvi Nurdin, Malvi Sayyid Muhammad Ahsan, and most of the respected members of this Jamaat know of this prophecy. Allah the Exalted says in the Holy Quran, in Surah Al-Jinn, chapter 72, verse 27 to 28, meaning that God does not reveal the plainly clear and manifestly lucid knowledge of the unseen to anyone except his messengers. It is therefore evident that there cannot possibly be a brighter hallmark of a sign than the pronouncement of a fully detailed prophecy and its eventual manifest fulfillment exactly in the manner detailed. Second sign, or 189th sign. Among those signs, the second sign is that on July 30, 1906, and on several days thereafter, I was informed by revelation that a member of my community would die suddenly by the bursting of his belly in the month of Shaban. 
In accordance with the prophecy, Mia Sahib Noor, the migrant and companion Sahibzada Mawlia Abdul Latif Sahib, suddenly died of a burst belly in Shaban, AH 1324. It was learnt that he had been suffering from a gastric tumor, but he did not feel any discomfort. He was a rather robust and strong young man. All of a sudden, he felt pain in his stomach, and his last words that he cried three times were, My belly has burst after which he died, and as foretold in the prophecy, he died suddenly in the month of Shaban. This prophecy had been published well before its fulfillment in the newspapers Badr and Al-Hakam. Third sign, or 190th sign. Among other signs is the death of Sa'adullah of Ludhiana, which took place in accordance with the prophecy, the detail of which follows. The Mushisadullah of Ludhiana exceeded all limits in his foul and abuse of diatribes and hurled so much abuse upon me, employing prose and poetry, that I believe he had the filthiest tongue from among my foul-mouthed enemies in the Punjab. It was then that I prayed to God Almighty that he may die a death of disappointment during my own lifetime and may his death be disgraceful. Footnote start, as I will explain later that this man, i.e. Sadullah, had predicted my death and announced that in his own lifetime I would die a disgraceful death, I had announced that he would die in my own lifetime. In the end, my God proved me right and he died in the first week of January 1907, taking his frustration and humiliation with him. Footnote end. His verbal abuses were not the solitary cause of this prayer. Rather, its main cause was that he was desirous of my death and used to heap curses upon me in verse and prose. On account of his foolishness and ignorance, he desired my death and destruction from the very bottom of his heart, and it was his habit to pronounce the curse of Allah be upon the liars upon me. He ardently wished that I may die and perish within his own lifetime, and that this movement may suffer loss and decline so that I may be proven to be an impostor and thus become the target of curses by the people. Although all my enemies harbor similar designs to see me die and that I should die within their lifetime, but this man exceeded them all and fully participated in all the evil design which my unfortunate opponents tried to hatch. I do not believe that anyone has ever heaped such filthy abuse upon any prophet and messenger of God since the creation of this world as he has hurled upon me. Anyone who might have come across his hostile poems, writings, and announcements would know how eager he was for my death and destruction and how deeply desirous he was to see me humiliated and disappointed. And the extent to which his heart had become filthy on account of his hostility to me. It was because of all this that I had prayed for a death of frustration and disgrace for him within my lifetime. God was pleased to decree accordingly, and he died within a few hours during the first week of January 1907 from the pneumonic plague and left this transient world along with all his manifold frustrations. Mawitanaullah, editor of Ahli Hadith newspaper, has indicated the anguish and frustration in the death of Sadullah on page 4 of his paper, and writes that his son had become engaged to Haji Abdul Rahim's daughter and the marriage ceremony was about to take place when Sadullah died. Sadullah was not even bestowed the opportunity to witness the wedding of his son. He only had one son, and he had gotten together all the things needed for the wedding, and he was ready to take this inauspicious event 
to its conclusion within a few days, but the angel of death intervened and took hold of him. This observation on the part of Mahavisnala is quite understandable because some of my followers had repeatedly reproached him by saying, Some thirteen years ago the promised Messiah had received the following revelation about you, meaning that your foul-mouthed opponent Sadullah's lineal succession shall be cut off. Then why do you not marry your son with someone to allow your lineal succession to continue? It is therefore quite probable that in the face of such persistent reproaches, Sadullah might have made some wedding arrangements for his son. But the arrangements for the wedding were still being made when Sadullah's time arrived to depart for the next world. Hence the death of Sadullah as soon as he started talking of his son's marriage is indeed a disappointment. Therefore, there can be no doubt that he died a death of disappointment in accordance with my prophecy. And without a doubt, this is a disgraceful death and he could not ward off, try as he did, the intent of the prophecy that his lineal succession would not continue, nor was he able to defy the prophecy through any power of his own that he would die during my lifetime and that too after witnessing my multifaceted progress. As for Mali Sanaullah's excuse published in his newspaper dated February 8, 1907, in which he asserts that since Sadullah had left behind a son, how can he be called issueless? This is the kind of statement that exposes that he is either suffering from self-deception or is deliberately trying to deceive others. For any sensible person can easily comprehend that what Allah the Exalted had disclosed to me through his revealed word is not a statement about Sadullah's pre-existing condition. Also, everyone knows that at the time when the prophecy was announced, Sadullah's 15 or 14-year-old son was alive, but despite the existence of the boy, God had designated him Abdar, i.e. issueless, and had declared that it is not you but your slander who shall be issueless. Since in his writing, Sadullah repeatedly alleged that this person, i.e. me, is an imposter and would quickly be destroyed and that nothing would remain of him. Therefore, in response to his words, which were full of sheer insolence and mischief, Allah the Exalted said that in the end, he himself would be destroyed and that no trace of this would be left behind. The prophecy should therefore be interpreted keeping in mind the context of the prophecy itself for it forecasts the termination of lineal descent by declaring null and void the currently alive and existing boy and indicates that his existence or non-existence are equal. In this context, therefore, quoting the Qamus, etc., on the meaning of the word of God is sheer nonsense and stupidity. The premise of this case is not that the boy was born after the prophecy. On the contrary, the boy who is present now was 15 or 14 years old at the time the prophecy was made, and he should be about 30 or 29 at the present moment. Since he was very much alive when the prophecy was announced, an intelligent person can understand clearly that in the context of the prophecy, he is as good as non-existent, and that after him succession comes to an end. This is what Allah the Exalted had made me to understand from it. No one can understand the meaning of a revelation better than its recipient nor does anyone have the right to oppose his interpretation. Thus, since God Almighty has disclosed this to be the very meaning of the prophecy that this boy is as good as non-existent, that Sadullah's succession will not go beyond him, and upon him the progeny of Sadullah would end, 
than how utterly obstinate it is to go on insisting that Sagula was survived by a son subsequent to his own death. O oh, foolish one, this boy was very much alive when the prophecy was made. A close study of the Arabic idiom would show that the term Abdad does not indicate that someone having children should die in a situation that all his children die in his lifetime. The actual indication of the term is the termination of the lineage. In the Arabic lexicon, the term Badr means Badr is said of something that is cut down to the very root to eradicate something completely. Thus, it is clear that this prophecy was about the future generation, that is to say that lineal descent would terminate with the present boy and no future progeny would come from the existing boy, as we shall discuss in detail in the following pages. In short, anyone possessing a nature endowed with the slightest of sense and shame would understand that when Allah the Exalted prophesies with respect to a particular person that his lineal succession would be cut off, the prophecy does not necessarily require that all his progeny should die in his very lifetime. Were it so, how would one designate the abolition of lineal succession when a person dies leaving behind one or two sons, and some time later these two boys also die, leaving no progeny behind? Is there any word in the Arabic lexicon to describe such a situation other than Abdar? And would it be permissible to say that such a person is not issueless and the meaning total eradication does not apply to him? Obviously, this kind of thinking is nothing short of senseless stupidity. And in the Arabic language, there is no other word except abdad to describe the condition of this kind of end to lineal succession. In fact, Arabs call a person abdad whose offspring die during his lifetime or after his death, leaving him with the title of having no sons and his succession is cut off. In any case, in every country, a person is invariably described as abdad who happens to be issueless and whose line of succession has been terminated. No renowned scholar of the Arabic lexicon has ever stipulated that the binding condition precedent to being Abdad is that a person's offspring should also die in his own lifetime. Furthermore, if a person's offspring do not die in his own lifetime but do so after his death and cut off his bloodline, does the Arabic language describe him by a name other than Abdad? Indeed, as stated before, the etymology of this word has a very wide connotation, for Badr in Arabic means to cut the very root. Let it be clearly understood that the Arabic term Abdar has very wide import. The Sanul Arab says, Abdar means to root out, to eradicate, to cut from the very root, a second meaning of Badr, to cut off the tail, etc. Footnote start. Lisanul Arab is a classical Arabic dictionary. Not end. One, Abdar is said of the one whose tail has been cut off. Two, a particular species of snakes is also called Abdar. This kind of snake is called Satan. If a pregnant woman happens to look at it, a miscarriage takes place. Three, and it is stated in the Ahadith that every major action which is not commenced with glorification of Allah is Abdar. 4. An Abdar is also said of one who has no successor, i.e. he has no son or whose son has no son. According to Lisan al-Arab, Aqid means a son, as well as the son of a son. As such, anyone without a son is Abdar. And one whose son is without a son is also Abdar. 
But a person cannot be called Abdad if any son from among his several sons becomes the cause of continuity of his lineal succession. Thus the person who dies and leaves no such child behind is also called Abdad. The following words of God Almighty have been interpreted accordingly. Surely it is your enemy who is without issue. Surah Al-Qawthar, chapter 108, verse 4 of the Holy Quran. This verse was revealed about Osman of Ayil when he came across the Holy Prophet wasallam, who was sitting somewhere. Pointing at the Holy Prophet wasallam, he said, He is Abdar, meaning that he has no son or a son's son. At this, addressing the Holy Prophet wasallam, God Almighty said, O Muhammad, your detractor is in fact the one who is Abdar. In other words, it has been so ordained that the progeny of which he is so proud shall be destroyed in his own lifetime or soon after his death, and his lineal succession will be cut off. It is clear that Aas bin Uayil had children at that time, for if he himself had been Abdar without an heir, it would have been baseless on his part to abuse the Holy Prophet wasallam as Abdar. In short, it was a prophecy of God that his bloodline would be cut off in his own lifetime or thereafter. In fact, this was exactly what happened. It seems that he did leave some offspring behind who were wiped out after his death. Had his progeny died in his own lifetime, it would certainly have been mentioned. The translation of the remaining part of the definition in Lisanul Arab is that here the term Abdur can also be legitimately translated to mean one who is deprived of all that is good and is unfortunate. Furthermore, according to a hadith reported by Ibn Abbas, when Ibn Ashraf came to Mecca, the Quraysh said to him, You are the best of the Madanites and their chief. He replied, Yes, I am exactly that. At this the Quraysh replied, Don't you see that this man, meaning the Holy Prophet wasallam, is weak, frail, and unimportant? He has no son, no brother, nor is he accompanied by any group of friends. He is alone, single-handed, and cut off by his people, who on account of their religious hostility have expelled him from their community and issued the edict that no one should interact with him or show any sympathy to him. And despite the fact that this man is neither held in any esteem nor does anyone know who he is, he still believes that he is better than us. But we are an honorable group of people. All those who have performed the pilgrimage are from among us. We are their chiefs and we are the custodians of the Kaaba and those responsible for its service. We also have the exclusive honor of offering drinking water to the pilgrims. This man, on the contrary, amounts to nothing. Upon hearing all these things, the unfortunate Ibn al-Ashraf replied, Of course you are better than this fellow who claims to be a prophet. It was then that God Almighty revealed about him and about the entire group of Quraysh who used to say, Abdal, and said, Surely it is your enemy who is without issue in Surah Al-Qawthar chapter 108 verse 4 of the Holy Quran. Meaning that Ibn al-Ashraf who said the Holy Prophet wasallam was Abdar and the disbelievers among the Quraysh who also called him Abdar are in fact Abdar. That is to say their lineal succession would be cut off and every one of them would die deprived of any good and devoid of all blessings. Now no one can prove that all the Quraysh who called the Holy Prophet lost all their sons in their own lifetime or that they did not have any children. Were it so, they would never have designated him the Holy Prophet 
No intelligent person can ever accept that despite being Abdur himself, a person should denounce another as Abdur. Therefore, one has to acknowledge that the Quraysh did indeed have offspring. The second possibility that all their offspring died in their own lifetime is simply unthinkable. Reason can never accept such a possibility because there were not just one or two evil-minded and unholy people who used to say this about the Holy Prophet. Such people ran into hundreds and their offspring numbered into the thousands and they had all died in their parents' lifetime. Surely it would have raised great hue and cry in the land because such miraculous deaths of thousands of children and the deaths of their fathers who later died in an issueless condition was not the kind of miracle that could have remained a secret. Furthermore, it was but necessary that this should have been mentioned in the books of Ahadith and history. For a certainty, therefore, it shows that after their death, most of them were survived by their offspring, and later in the course of time, in conformity with the prophecy, their linear descent gradually pattered out. Hence, the Quranic prophecy about the infidels of Quraysh, namely, Surely it is your enemy who is without issue, in Surah Al-Qasr, chapter 108, verse 4 of the Holy Quran, is exactly the one I made regarding Sadullah of Ludhiana, on the basis of revelation of God Almighty, and its fulfillment too will be similar. Let those who have ears that hear, listen. The translation of the remaining part of Lisan al-Arab is that the word Abdar is applied also to a pauper and to a person suffering from loss, and also to implements like water skins and leather buckets that are without a handle. All this shows that the term Abdar is not exclusively meant to describe the condition of being without sons. Rather, Abdar applies to every unfortunate and ineffectual one who is unsuccessful and ever in a state of loss. For instance, Sadullah died in a state of frustration in achieving his schemes. He had certain plans against me which he absolutely failed to carry out. These will be discussed later. The foregoing investigation also proves that to be Abdar one doesn't have to die a childless death. Even if his line of succession is cut off after him and does not go beyond his grandson, even then he is called Abdar. As it has been pointed out before, hundreds of the evil-minded Quraysh had designated the Holy Prophet Abdar, and these people possessed offspring. Islamic history does not prove that their sons and grandsons had died in their own lifetime. Rather, it was later that their line of succession was gradually cut off. Hence, the sole purpose of the prophecy which God Almighty revealed to me was that in the end, Sadullah's bloodline would be terminated. Consequently, its signs too became so manifest that despite the fact that since the announcement of the prophecy, some twelve years have passed, but neither he nor his son have been granted any son. Does this state of affairs not give at least some fragrance of the impact of the prophecy? Sadullah remained alive for about twelve years after the prophecy, and all the while he did have a wife, but the process of having children was blocked, very much like a dam is built to block a flood. And the son who was present and 15 years of age at the time of the prophecy came to be 30 years old but could not even get married. Sadullah was a robust young man and was capable of having quite a number of sons born into his household after the prophecy. But no son was born to him who survived from the time of the prophecy until the day of his death, nor did his son have any children. 
indeed he is still deprived of marriage and it is said that he is perhaps 30 years old or even older. Thus, the prophecy has manifested its truth because subsequent to the prophecy, Allah the Exalted put a stop to the birth of offspring in Saudullah's household. Anyone possessing a grain of decency and dignity can understand that the cessation of the process of childbirth for the next 12 years starting immediately with the prophecy and ending with the death of Saadullah in this very condition is no ordinary event that can be overlooked, particularly in view of the ill-fated Saadullah's declaration against me that I would be destroyed together with all my children and that nothing would remain of me and that my jamaat would disperse in utter disarray. God revealed to me concerning him that, meaning that, it will not be you who will become Abda, but it will be your maligner who shall remain Abda. So now we should see what the end result of this prophecy was. 